Scripture lesson is Psalm 148, found on page 571 in your Old Testament of the Pew Bible. Psalm 148. Let us listen to God's word. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him all his angels. Praise him all his host. Praise him sun and moon. Praise him all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. He established them forever and ever. He fixed their bounds, which cannot be passed. Praise the Lord from the earth, you sea monsters and all deeps. Fire and hail, snow and frost, stormy wind fulfilling his command. Mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars. Wild animals and all cattle, creeping things and flying birds. Kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth. Young men and women alike, old and young together. Let them praise the name of the Lord. For his name alone is exalted, his glory is above earth and heaven. He has raised up a horn for his people. Praise for all his faithfulness for the people of Israel who are close to him. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Our second scripture lesson comes to us today from Colossians 3, 12 through 17, page number 1074. As God's chosen ones... Holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive one another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom and with gratitude in your hearts. Sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. The Christmas season has finally come to a close. To be honest, it's always a little bit of a letdown for me. We spend all of the Advent season anxiously awaiting the arrival of our Savior. We light candles, we sing, we dream and hope about Christ brought into this world and the continual work that he will do. On a more secular note, we spend the days, months, or sometimes the whole year shopping for the perfect gifts, baking Christmas cookies, and viewing the tackiest of Christmas lights. Finally, on December 25th, it all culminates into a day that we will all hopefully remember celebrating Jesus. Once the day has drawn to a close, though, and the last presents have been opened, we're faced with somewhat of a disappointing task. We clean up all of the gifts, the Christmas cookies are gone, 
and the tree and decorations have to be taken down before New Year's, if we have the time. We often say goodbye to our relatives that have come from near and far to celebrate with us. We spend time with friends and family before we catch last-minute flights. It's easy to feel a sense of sadness as we depart from a time that's so filled with joy, expectancy, and hope. Once we finally recover from all that cleaning up, our thoughts come to the new year. Consequently, we tend to evaluate how the last year has gone. What went wrong? What went right? What could we do better? Often, we use that time to iron out all the little issues that the coming new year will bring, and we pray for a fresh start, new opportunities, and new hope. It's traditional in many cultures to do New Year's resolutions. After evaluating the previous year, we might want to address or improve on things, so we make lists. Or if you're like me, you make lots of lists. According to statistics, some of the top New Year's resolutions in 2015 included losing weight, getting organized, spending less and saving more, enjoying life to the fullest, exercising and getting healthy, learning something new, quitting smoking, falling in love, or spending more time with family. While none of these are inherently bad resolutions, statistically, most of them won't be kept. Of the 45% of Americans that usually make New Year's resolutions, only about 8% of those resolutions will be kept. These statistics are supported by the fact that in January, gyms are packed. You can't even get to the machine you want to use. But come March, there's plenty of space for everyone. There's a spike in health food consumption around the first of the year that also seems to affirm these statistics. Additionally, there's also a surge of online dating profiles created on January 1st every year that are then canceled a few months later. Everyone wants to become a better version of themselves in the coming year. I also noticed that most of the top resolutions for 2015 were more about the individual person. They were more about personal growth instead of care for others in the community. I have to wonder what the writer of Colossians might say if he saw the most popular New Year's resolutions of 2015. I don't think he would reprimand us or tell us that we were doing it wrong. But I think he might set us in a different direction, maybe one more closely connected to Colossians 3. You see, the letter to the Colossians was initially written to combat false teachings that were prevalent during the time. This specific passage addressed, follows a previous list of qualities that new believers were supposed to get rid of. Basically, it was an out with the old, in with the new kind of situation. Although they needed to put off this old person, they also had to put on a new person. They couldn't just get stuck where they had once been. In order to assist them in this, the author penned kind of a list of sorts to help them get through this transition. The five virtues that are listed in Colossians 3, 12 through 17, and specifically Colossians 3, 12, are those that were required for living harmoniously in community with one another. According to the passage, Christian needed, Christians needed a deep and heartfelt sympathy for the situations of others and active consideration for others' needs. I think one could stretch this list even a little further. You could include courtesy, considerateness, and a willingness to waive your rights rather than to be concerned for personal gain. 
as if treating people with all-encompassing dignity and respect wasn't enough of a challenge, the scripture also tells us that patience is necessary. This includes the ability not to get frustrated or angry with the people around us, but instead we're supposed to tolerate people's shortcomings and even their irritating behavior. I consider this portion of the text to kind of be a little bit of a reality check. The fact that there's a section in scripture about not getting annoyed with the people around you makes me feel a little better. It names and makes it normal the inevitability of complaining, arguments, and grievances in the body of Christ. It's kind of reassuring to know that even in biblical times, things weren't always perfect. Mercifully, though, the author does offer us a solution, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. In modern language, bearing with one another might involve fully accepting them for who they are, even if they look different than us. It would mean understanding their weakness and faults and not judging them for it. However, the advice doesn't stop there. The author outlines the importance of forgiveness and places its necessity in the fact that we have first been forgiven in Christ, the same Christ of Christmas. Therefore, we're free to, give, to forgive others. Free to forgive others. That makes it sound kind of like a positive thing. And it is. The act of holding grudges can hold you captive, weigh you down, and make you unhappy. But because of God's love, we're able to freely forgive those around us, even those that hurt us more than we can ever imagine. We can experience reconciliation in broken relationships. If we do forgive one another, however, it must be motivated by another important value that the author we find in Colossians speaks of. This one value listed has permeated not only religious culture, but pop culture and our everyday lives. It's found in the lyrics of the Beatles song, All You Need Is Love, and it's the topic of both classic and contemporary poetry, and it's the integral ingredient in any good romantic comedy. You guessed it, it's love. Well, maybe not the time of love that I just mentioned. That's a little different. This type of love found in verse 14 is agape love. Agape love is different because it functions perfectly, and it leads to maturity in the people who demonstrate it. This type of love refers not just to one singular person or even a relationship between two people. It refers to the community as a whole, everyone in this room and everyone outside of this room. In a Christian context, agape love binds all the other virtues together in the community that it's supposed to be displayed in. It's kind of like the glue that holds everything else together so we can all keep working together. It binds communities together in selfless acts and common good. Wow. So after we've started treating one another properly, forgiving one another, embodying agape love, we can finally get some peace around here. In Colossians, the peace of Christ is seen as a new ruling order, It's not just the peace you feel after your house is empty and the relatives have left, or the kids have cleaned up all the gifts they've just furiously opened. In Colossians, this peace is different. Through Christ, God made peace and brought about reconciliation. Peace arrived in the very Savior we celebrated just a few days ago. Now, we have to let this peace have its way in us and those around us. This peace leads to a communal existence, worshiping the Savior that we so anxiously waited for.
Well, we made it through this different list of resolutions that Colossians wants us to hear. It seems like some tall orders, but the good news is that perfection isn't expected. The process of becoming a new person in Christ is not an immediate transformation at the snap of your fingers. Nor is God condemning us if we don't live it out perfectly every day. In Colossians, a disclaimer or conditional offer doesn't follow this list. It doesn't say, well, if you don't get it all right, you get punished. Instead, this list is followed by some simple words. Be thankful. That's it. Just be thankful. This statement sets the tone for the last part of the passage. It also identifies thankfulness as a key concept and a key response to the gospel. Because everything has already been accomplished in the Christ of Christmas, we are free to live in thankful communal worship with each other every day. The author even gives us a helpful hint about what, we should, what should be the focus of our worship. It's the gospel, the message that centers on Christ We're supposed to give space to the word of Christ and allow it to dwell among us. This could include listening to or meditating on and responding to the word of God in praise and worship. Letting the word of Christ dwell among us could mean saying a kind word to the person that you pass leaving church every day. Letting the word of Christ dwell among us means taking the words that you hear in this sacred space outside of this place and sharing them with the people you encounter. If we do this, it will be an abundant resource that permeates every aspect of our life. The word of Christ can also form the basis of this community life that we need so desperately in our church. And it will impact everyone around us, our communities, our schools, our leaders. I'm sure quite a few of you have been to see a live ballet performance. In the ballet world, there are different levels in the company. You know, there are people who are really high up in the company, and they're called the etoiles. It's every little girl's dream to be the star of the show, the tutu, the sparkling lights, and all eyes on you. But for most little girls, even if they make it, that's not the reality. The reality is that they'll likely find themselves in something called the corps de ballet, which, if you've ever seen Swan Lake, is the group of swans standing in the back row. They say, waving the rose, watching their dreams disappear, is how they describe it. But the important things about the corps de ballet is that without the corps de ballet, the show wouldn't go on. Sure, it's great to be a star, but it's also great to be the person helping. Without the corps de ballet, nothing would happen. There wouldn't be any Swan Lake, there wouldn't be a Nutcracker, and there would be no show for people to come see. For me, it kind of reminds me that like the ballet companies, the body of Christ is similar. There are people who seem to take center stage a lot, and then there are people who seem to do menial tasks. Day after day, offering the word of Christ to others, never asking for anything in return. It can seem frustrating, and many people might resolve in the coming year to want a bigger or better position, to do better serving God, to take on more responsibility. But the author of Colossians even thought of that. He wants to make sure that everything is crystal clear about what the Christian life should entail. He sums it up by saying, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. He basically throws out there a catch-all clause. 
that embodies everything we've previously discussed. But whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God while being thankful. There's no wiggle room there, no but what ifs, or is this still applicable, or but what if they do this to me? We are simply to do all to the glory of God, constantly acknowledging the love and forgiveness that we receive through Christ. It sounds pretty tough, but it's actually really, really freeing, no matter what we do, whether we're the star of the show or the swan in the back holding the rose. All we have to do is do everything we do to the glory of God, living in the love that he first showed us. We might not always get the Christian life right, but at least we can strive to do everything thankfully. As we approach this time full of new resolutions, I encourage you to make a different type of resolution this year. Resolve to practice compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Resolve to hang in there with one another. Forgive one another, both within and outside of these walls. Resolve to let your love guide your daily decisions and interactions, and to let the peace and word of Christ govern your hearts. Finally, resolve to live in community with the church and the world, thanking God for the gift of life and the beauty of the creation that surrounds us. What better resolve this year than to put on and grow in the virtues that will always remain and to express these virtues towards everyone we meet? Let us now sing together hymn 315. The soloist is going to sing the first verse, and then the congregation is invited to join verses 2 through 5.